welcome you out to another episode of the Lodestone Training and Consulting Podcast. My name is Jared Ross, and I'll be doing the podcast today. I don't have anybody with me, uh, so you're going to have to put up with me and, and only me as uh, as you listen this time. Everyone else is out on assignment. Usually I'm joined by Chris, but uh, he's actually out doing a uh, site survey, uh, checking out a range and uh, and looking at some potential new locations for, for classes. So before I get into the subject at hand, before I get going, I wanted to quick go through some of the upcoming events, our 30, 60, 90. So in in the 30 range, we have April 27th through 29th, our small unit tactics, basics of patrolling class. Uh, So that's a great class. We're going to be introducing small unit tactics. We're going to be leading people and teaching people how to patrol. But basically, it is all designed as a leadership course, um, putting people in unfamiliar environments and giving everyone an opportunity to uh, to be in charge. And it's, it's going to be a good time. Really look forward to, to doing that. Immediately following that, April 30th through May 1st is our two-day, uh, one-night wilderness skills class. That's also another, uh, it's going to be a very interesting class. We're going to teach you all kinds of primitive skills, you know, fire building, uh, shelters, water or procurement and purification, all kinds of stuff that we'll be doing out there. And that one, uh, well, the patrolling is... You know, that's kind of self-explanatory, the the wilderness skills class. That's really for, for everyone. I know uh, uh, people are going to be bringing out some of their, their youth, some of their teenagers and, and stuff out there for that class. So that's that's pretty good. Uh, 60. On May 15th, we have our shotgun mastery class. And that is our introductory class to how to run a shotgun. It's a really good class. And uh, if you think you know how to run a shotgun and you've never been in any formalized training, well, you, you don't. There's a lot more to it, especially to feed that gun and keep that gun up and running. It's an excellent class. Um, if you uh, have a shotgun or you're even considering using a shotgun for, for self-defense or home defense. Uh, for the 90, we have June 17 through 19 is our uh, level two rifle class. It is our rifle combat marksmanship series. And in those three days, we teach shooting while moving. We teach uh, the use of barricades uh, in and around them. And then also on the, the third day, we really get into uh, to, to fighting, fighting from the ground and, and getting strikes and basically that, that combative uh, atmosphere and environment for, for running that, that rifle. So that's our 30, 60, 90. Then also for this month of April, for the LTAC Book Club, the book we're going to be reading is Congo Mercenary by Mike Hoare, and that's uh, an older book. Uh, if you're not familiar with him, he uh, ran some uh, some operations in, in Africa, and he actually went up against and beat uh, Che Guevara, and uh, it's uh, should be a very interesting read. We're going to be reviewing that book since we're so busy in April. We're, we're just jam-packed with agency training as well as open enrollment classes that we won't be able to get to reviewing that book until Sunday, May 2nd. So if you're interested, go ahead and read the book. It's a good precursor to to, uh, to the SUT class. And then um, if you're not on our mailing list, go ahead and email us so you can get on the mailing list, and we will send out a WebEx link uh, the day prior to the book club. And uh, so far, every one of the reviews we've done has been very good, and uh, I've learned a lot from that just with everyone's feedback um, and talking and, and things they gathered from, from the books that we've been studying and reading so far. So... What I wanted to, to spend some time with you and talk about today is uh, is mindset. Uh, there's a lot of things out there about mindset. There's a lot of people with their opinions and all sorts of, of good information as well as some, some crazy information. Basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just 
talk you through some of the things that I've learned and talk you through uh, my journey um, as, as an individual and where I've, uh, you know, things I've done, mistakes I've made, and where I've got, you know, come to the, the current mindset that, that I have. Uh, so really, it, you know, it starts with, with me. As a lot of you know, I grew up around firearms. Even though my, my parents didn't have that many firearms, I still grew up somewhat in the gun culture. You know, starting age five when my grandpa bought me a BB gun and started teaching me how to shoot. My dad teaching me how to shoot with that thing. You know, so I grew up with, with firearms. I, I bought firearms as soon as I turned 18. Again, my first pistol was 21. So, you know, I've been in and around them. Um, but I really didn't get much training with, with mindset. It was just kind of there. After 9-11 happened and I enlisted in, into the military, went to the 82nd Airborne, again, I had this idea. I, I watched a lot of movies. Uh, I knew what I was doing was, for me, was morally right. I wanted to go and wanted to uh, stand up for and, and uh, you know, defend my country and defend, more importantly, the principles in which it was founded on, uh, the Constitution and, um, and Declaration of Independence. So uh, I, I had this romantic idea, and I thought I knew what I would, how I would respond or how I'd act under, under fire, but, you know, I really don't know. No one really knows. Um, and I had, though I had received some token stuff that I later learned as I educated myself about mindset and about preparing uh, for conflict or violent encounters. Um, I got some token training, but I really didn't understand really what a, a fight was, um, a, a real fight, a life or death fight. Um, with today's with today's culture, I know with some of the law enforcement I've worked with and that we've helped train and other individuals and with conversations I've had, one of the reoccurring themes that seems to be popping up is that this newer generation who are becoming law enforcement or this new generation who have uh, been joining the military, they've never been in a fist fight in their life. They have never really had, speaking generally, not individually, uh, they've never really had that, that physical confrontation, whether, you know, right, wrong, indifferent, whatever. They just have never experienced that. And I have to say, looking back in my youth, two of the best experiences that I had was, one, um, probably like 16 years old, this guy was being a bully. He was picking on one of my friends. So then I stood up for my friend and found myself into a fight and uh, smashed this guy's nose pretty good. And, uh, you know, his blood was all over his face. And, you know, I had some of his blood on me. And I thought I did the right thing by protecting and standing up for a friend of mine and Boy, I was feeling pretty cocky. I was feeling pretty proud of myself. Well, a couple weeks after that, and even a greater lesson, um, because of my experience a couple weeks prior, I thinking I was all that, I started mouthing off to the wrong guy, and I caused a confrontation. And uh, I proceeded to get a pretty nice beat down, and, uh, you know, down on the ground thinking, oh, how, how the heck did I get down here? And stood back up and, then you know, went at it again and, found myself again down on the ground and man I took some lumps but what a good and humbling and needful experience and I realized you know what I'm I'm, I'm not the man uh, I really don't know what the heck I'm doing and that was a good experience for me so anyways other than those kind of experiences and stuff um, I really hadn't received much in way of formal intellectual or even emotional preparation or training for a fight so uh, I know I've shared this this account, this experience uh, before, especially in some of the the classes that I teach, specifically the mindset class. 
But I found myself, this was either late 2002 or very early 2003 in Afghanistan with my platoon, uh, with the 82nd, and I was at a small fire base called Deir Wood, and uh, it was very small then. I, I understand after we left, it got built up and got kind of large, but while we were there, it was just, shoot, it was small. Uh, a couple of ODAs and then uh, our platoon from the 82nd, and that was pretty much about it. And this fire base had four guard towers, and this evening I was in guard tower number three, and my buddy Darren was in guard tower number four, and uh, we could see the, the valley. We could see a lot of farmers' fields, and we could see some of their compounds. And as the valley um, to the north of us, as it went down further down to, to where the river was, uh, there was the, actually the town of De Raoud. And then you could see the other side of the valley going up to, to mountains. And again, there were some buildings and compounds and stuff. It was a you know, nice view. could see a lot. And this particular evening, there was some kind of holiday going on. So you could see bonfires uh, in different locations and stuff and uh people were celebrating and then uh as the evening started to wear on it started to get dark that's when uh the celebratory gunfire started and you could see some tracer fire going off on you know one side of the town then like their buddies on the other side of town they would answer with their tracer fire and again nothing to be alarmed with it was just a normal cultural thing so kind of watching this going on and then somebody i don't you know maybe around 300 meters maybe 400 meters uh, to the north of us um and over closer to Darren's side of, of the compound, he started shooting. And uh, at first, as he started to shoot, uh, it looked like it was going straight up in the air, and it was uh, green green tracers. So uh, growing up in the gun culture, green tracers to me meant, oh, they must be Chinese manufactured. It must be steel core uh, trace because those are, those are green. Um, so I start seeing these green tracers are going up in the air, and then they're slowly starting to arc down towards they're going uh, towards Darren's uh, to his guard tower and as I'm watching these these gunfire these tracers um, as the guy's slowly lowering his rifle so with each shot the, these tracers are getting closer and closer to where Darren's at I'm watching this happen and I heard a voice in my head say this isn't happening then the voice said hey is this happening and then the voice in, the, in my head said this is happening this is happening right now so as I'm trying to, to realize what the heck is going on, and now these tracers are going right at, at where Darren's uh, guard tower is, he's experiencing the same thing. And he doesn't do anything, and now these tracers are going at him, and then he yelled my name. So I heard Ross yelled across the compound, and as soon as he heard that, and by this point, like I said, I'd already said, hey, this is happening right now, um, I still hadn't done anything. And then as soon as he yelled my name, I realized, oh, I, I can do something. So I moved my, my saw, my 249, and started pointing it towards uh, where this sniper, not sniper, but where this um, where these muzzle flashes were coming. So I started shooting. Then Darren started shooting too. And then it seemed like within a couple of seconds, we had, I don't know, like a third of the platoon up on the wall. And every, all these people were, were, were shooting. And, uh, and then all the shooting stopped. And uh, then they're just quiet couple, uh, I think the SF team was out on a mission, so there's only only one or two guys from the teams who were there, and one guy came up, he had a thermal on his uh, his sniper system, and he's looking around, and there's everyone up there, and I honestly forget if my platoon sergeant was with me, or if my platoon leader was with me, or if the platoon sergeant was with Darren, or, or the PL, but in, anyways, one of, both of them were, one was in my guard tower, and the other was in the other guard tower with, with Darren, and then uh, we sat there for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. Then as we realized it was a, 
isolated thing. This wasn't like some precursor to attack. They started letting people get down off the, the line, off the wall, and then uh, after an extended period of time, both of them left. So then uh, it was just quiet. It was just me sitting in that tower again by myself and then Darren over in his. And I started thinking to myself, what the heck just happened? What? How come I didn't fire? What's, what's wrong with me? Uh, well, and I was just perplexed because, like I said, I, I had been shooting in one form or another since I was five. And at the time, I would say Darren was arguably the best shooter, the best shot in our platoon. And, uh, you know, he's a good old boy from Alaska who's done all kinds of, of hunting and stuff. And I'm sure he was kicking himself, why, why didn't I shoot? Why did I, like, yell over Jared? And then, then why did uh, I finally start shooting after, after he started shooting? And we're, I'm sure we're asking all these, these questions of, the, of, of ourselves. And I was asking that question myself. So then when we got down off of our guard shift and we were sharing a room and we needed to get some sleep because we had a shift again in, uh, in a few hours, we sat down on those bunks and we looked at each other and we just started giggling and giggling and giggling. We needed to sleep. And every time we like, okay, we need to stop. Uh, and then we look at each other again and we would just, just start laughing and giggling over, uh, over what had happened. And that was one of the ways we were dealing with the stress of being the first people in our platoon to, to pull the trigger ever. So thankfully on that trip, I had brought a book along with me. Um, believe the book was called The Tactical Rifle by Gabriel Suarez. Now, I know there's a lot of people who like Gabe Suarez. A lot of people don't like him. I've never met the man. I've never taken one of his classes. I just happened to have his book. And thankfully, I did. Um, in just a couple of days after that experience, I started thumbing through it. And there, the first chapter was talking about mindset. And that was when I first formally started learning about a combat mindset or what a quote-unquote mindset is or what it should be. Prior to that, I was just flying blind and I, I could not understand and did not understand my action or my lack of action um, during that uh, event. So as I started to read that book, that was really my beginning of uh, in my quest, which you know, I'm not done yet, uh, learning about mindset and learning about things. And what I came to learn through that book as well as uh, through other study, was what I experienced <laughs> was completely normal. Absolutely 100% normal. Nothing wrong with me, nothing wrong with Darren. Completely normal for a person who is not mentally or emotionally prepared to deal with a violent encounter. So a normal reaction for a person who's not ready or prepared, and I'm sure some of you listening can relate. Go, yeah, yeah, I had a, an experience, whatever that experience might be. Like, and, and same thing, I, uh, my senses, my body was telling me what was going on, but my mind just wasn't catching up. So the normal response or reaction to that kind of a person, uh, first thing they do is deny. Then after they deny, they question. And after they question comes realization and acceptance of whatever that might be. But even then, after they realize and after they accept the fact of, what's happening, it still doesn't necessarily prompt them to do anything to, to action. And as I learned, I went through each and every one of those steps in that moment, because the first thing I said when my eyes were seeing and my ears were hearing the gunfire, um, I, that voice in the back of my head said, this is not happening. It clearly was, but that voice told me, no, nope, no, nope, this isn't going on. The second um, thing I heard that voice in the back of my head said, is this happening? So I mentally went from Denial to all of a sudden 
you know, made that mental click to questioning, wait a minute, maybe this is a possibility. Yeah, it definitely is. Those, uh, those rounds, those green tracer rounds are getting a little closer to Darren. And then after that comes realization and acceptance. And I heard a voice in my head say, this is happening. This is happening right now. So I had realized and I accepted the fact. But even though um, mentally I'd accepted, yes, he is getting shot at, I still just sat there in a stupor and I didn't do anything. It wasn't until he hollered my name that I got snapped into reality and then I finally acted. So when this happens, once you realize you can act, that's when uh, a lot of us then, we get that adrenaline dump. We get that, that fight or flight or freeze response of, you know, that epinephrine starts coursing through our body. You can feel it like a wave if you're switched on enough. As it goes through your body, then your body does all sorts of stuff um, physiologically to prepare you to fight or prepare you to run away. Um, and I won't get into that here. You can research fight or flight and in some of the workshops or seminars that I do, I'll get into depth and talk a little bit more about it. But basically, some of the things you need to know about it is everyone experiences that adrenaline dump and that fight or flight response differently. So my experience with like slow motion time or audio exclusion or, or things like that might be different from the way you experience it. Uh, everyone experiences different. Some people have fast motion time. Um, some people, uh, they become more sensitive with, with hearing. Uh, so everyone experiences it a little bit differently. But what is your body doing? Like I said, well, as soon as you realize it, your body realizes it's time to act, it's time to, you know, that, that fight or flight response kicks in, then physiologically your body is preparing you to be able to better do that. You know, a common thing is, uh, is urination. Your body's like, hey, I've got all this excess liquid in here. Let's get rid of it because if I have to run for an extended period of time, <laughs> the less weight I have, the further I can run. So it's not necessarily a sign that you're a coward. It's your body doing its thing in preparation for you to, uh, to do whatever it is you need to do. The closest thing that I can describe to someone who hasn't seen the elephant or someone who hasn't experienced you know, that, that thing that uh, that kind of a lethal encounter um, is like when you're driving a car or you're driving a vehicle and you realize that you're going to have an accident. You're going to hit something or someone's going to hit you or whatever the case may be. And for me, that moment where of realization, hey, I'm, I'm going to hit and then time, you're powerless to really do anything and time starts to slow down and you can slowly see as the impact happens, bang and then you hit, that was kind of the way I felt or experienced at that moment. When my senses were telling me that he's getting shot at, I finally realized I could do something, and uh, everything just kind of slowed down. Um, that is very similar feeling or experience that being in, in that, that car crash, just as you realize the moment before you're going to hit, uh, that's, that's kind of how I felt at that time. So as I learned that, hey, you know what, I'm not crazy. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm, I'm not a coward. Um, I'm just normal. And uh, this is what a normal untrained person does. Then I decided it's pretty much in my best interest to uh, figure out how to mentally train myself and how to uh, be better prepared. Since I'm choosing the profession of arms, and this is just my first deployment, I assume there's going to be more. I better be uh, Johnny on the spot and start, you know, figuring this stuff out. So I started researching, started reading uh, a lot of different books. Uh, one, of, one of the books that I got into was um, On Killing by Colonel Grossman. 
And, you know, that's a, a pretty good book. I remember waiting at pre-jump. And any of you paratroopers out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm all rigged up. I'm sitting on those benches that are designed so you can sit down and, and lean that chute against there, against the back. And uh, I was looking through um, uh, on killing. And as I was doing that, our brigade, our brigade commander walked by. And he stopped and, you know, started talking to me a little bit. He stopped because he saw me reading the book. He said, hey, that's a good one. And he said, you know, a better one is go read with the old breed. So uh, that's how I, I learned about Sledge and, uh, and, and with the old breed. And I went and looked that book up. That was a pretty good book. That's another one I highly recommend. But as I, uh, to get back to it, I was researching and trying to find out as much as I could. I learned about uh, Jeff Cooper's color code. I learned about um, different mental stages in, in preparation and how to uh, prepare yourself so that your uh, um, reaction time can be sped up. So your processing what's going on can be sped up. And that's what I'm going to do the next couple minutes here is share some of the things that I've learned. And uh, I can attest, at least for me, that, that, that these principles are true because after I learned them, I started to incorporate them into who I am and into, uh, into my everyday use. Um, when it came to any uh, situations or any gunfights, either I was the first person to shoot or I was a very fast second person to, uh, to, to shoot when, when the need uh, was there. And I'm nothing special. The only thing I did was just learn these things and internalize them and, and make them who I am. So what I'm going to talk about, I'm talking about five different mental stages or five different mental conditions um, that, uh, that you can be in. And the first is unaware. Uh, condition one, uh, mental state one, whatever you want to call it, um, is unaware. And uh, what do I mean by that? I mean just that. You're unaware of what's going on. Uh, the second is relaxed and alert. And what do I mean by that? Again, just like it says, no reason to put a code name or a color or something else and, and have you uh, think or memorize what something else means. Just call it what it is, relaxed and alert. The third is special interest. The fourth is trigger met. And the fifth is action. So condition one, uh, unaware. That is where the vast majority of our culture is at all times. Um, people, they, they pick up that cell phone and that becomes their whole world or whatever. They put those headphones on and uh, or, or whatever the case may be. People consciously are making the decision to be unaware of anything that's going on around them, completely oblivious to their surroundings. You can uh, look, look at videos on YouTube of people, you know, looking at their phone, walking out in the traffic, hitting telephone poles, uh, walking into other people, falling down ditches, all kinds of stuff because people are consciously choosing to be unaware of what's going on. Now, the, another thing with uh, being switched off or completely unaware, um, we too have to uh, spend a little bit of time there. Our minds, uh, they need to relax and they need to rest. Just as, as important it is to get good sleep you know, for, for your physical body, mentally, you need to switch off too. The problem with today in our culture is those locations are, are times or places where, where we can switch off and be safe, but yet be unaware, are harder and harder to come by. I mean, traditionally, you could say, yeah, go to church, listen to that good sermon, just you know, relax. But uh, in today's age, you might not be able to. <laughs> go to a movie. 
sit down and, you know, it's hard enough if you can even go to a movie today, but prior to this COVID craziness, still uh, going and switching off and watching some good movie, uh, it's, that necessarily wasn't the safe spot anymore. Um, sitting in your living room, again, that should be safe. You should be able to switch off. You should be able to mentally be unaware and, and relax. But uh, in today's age, you know, maybe not. So I'm not telling you don't switch off. I am telling you that you need to. You need to spend some time to be unaware and to just, you know, zone out. You need that mental relaxation. The problem, though, is that too many people stay there almost their their entire life or, or all day long, and that's absolutely not uh, what you need to do. But that leads us in into uh, relaxed and alert, or that sec- second mental stage or the second mental condition. And that's where we need to be most of the time. If through your profession or as a responsible citizen, you're, you're carrying a firearm, anytime you're around firearms for that matter, you have to be at least uh, relaxed and alert. You need to be in that second stage. You, you cannot allow yourself to be completely switched off and unaware. That's just, that's just morally wrong. So with that firearm, or pretty much with uh, your daily routine, you need to be relaxed and alert. And what do I mean by that? I mean calm. You're not freaking out. You're not looking for that threat to quick jump around, the, you know, who's hiding around the corner or anything like that. But at the same time, that alertness means you need to listen to your senses. Our bodies are designed to bring in information, whether it's sight, hearing, smell, taste, uh, and that sixth sense, that, that, that uh, yeah, the little voice in the back of your head. Uh, our de- bodies are designed for us to gather information. And now it's up to you to consciously listen to that information or subconsciously listen to that information and uh, figure out or realize where you're at and, and, and what's going on. There's a lot of things that you can do to help yourself uh, be alert and to gather that information. Our, our culture, again, in, in movies and television and everything are designed for you. You know, they are almost like trying to program you not to, uh, to listen, not be alert, and just to, you know, become complacent and, and be in that condition one, be unaware. But there are a lot of things you can do to help you to be aware. Uh, one thing is try to look at things in a systematic way. Um, we like things in order. We like things uh, structured, even though the world might not be uh, structured or organized. An example to help you, and, and again, a habit you can train yourself into to be a little bit more situationally aware and, and help your senses do their thing, help your eyes specifically, is when you look. So if you look at the woods, as an example, I'm looking out at the woods, and if you just look at everything at face value, one snapshot there, um, there's a lot of information, a lot of trees, vegetation, a lot of different colors of green, possibly all sorts of stuff, and it all kind of blends in. So even though you're seeing everything, you're not noticing really anything. But if you train yourself to look, to systematize, or to look in layers, um, even though the trees, the forest is not going to be laid out in these perfect lines, but that's kind of how your eyes see it, and that's how your mind can interpret it. So if you look at that first layer of trees, and then you look at the natural lay, the second layer, then there you can create a third layer and a fourth layer. And as you are starting to look further, further in depth into the woods or into the forest, that's when details start to, you know, stand out. That's when you start to see things that if you're trying to see the entire forest at once, uh, you're going to miss it. You're not going to see it. 
This is similar too when you're doing a broom clearing or when you're doing a you know, CQB. The person who's not trained or trained incorrectly, when they go to enter that room, uh, it might be a scary thing. There might be a th potential threat in that room. So the untrained person, they're going to pause as they're entering that room because they're going to attempt to see everything in that room. And, and they can't. You can't see it all. Your mind can't process it all. So then you slow down, and you're slowing down in the most dangerous part of that room. You know, that's why they call it the fatal funnel. All the attention is focused right there. But if instead, if you approach that room, and if you need to enter that room, you already end, enter that room with the decision, I'm going to walk to that corner, or I'm going to walk to that other corner. Then as you enter that room, you start looking at that room in snapshots. So I'm going to look at the corner that I'm walking to, and I can see that. I can see that cone right in front of me. That's what my eyes are showing me. And then I can see and I can process that. And as soon as I process that information, then I'm going to switch a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left, depending on you know the layout of the room. And I'm going to see that next cone. I can see and process that. And then I can see and process the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one. You're eyes and your mind can see and process that information because it is, again, in that systematic way. And then as you're, that whole time you're not stopped, you're moving, you're moving towards that point. So for most rooms, um, by using your eyes and by turning your eyes and, and your head and while you're moving towards that point, you can see and you can clear a room very rapidly, um, a, a second or, or so at, while you're making that movement as opposed to like I said, starting the end of the room, then you attempt to see everything at once, and you can't, and then you slow down and, and you pause, and, and that's bad. So as you are at this second condition, relaxed and alert, man, let your senses do their thing. Um, learn and train yourself uh, in, a, in ways to, to systematize or to, in, a, in an order, you know, see things and allow your senses to work. This is an example of how you can consciously train your subconscious. And that's something that's how our minds are designed. That's how we're designed to, to, to work, to function as a human being. Uh, another great example is, is learning to drive a car. When I learned how to drive a car, that was a very conscious act. You know, I had my hand at the 2 and I had my hand at, on the 10. I had to look forward to see where I was going. I had to look at the, you know, the side view mirrors. I had to look at the rear view mirror. I had to make sure which foot was doing what. Make sure I was, you know, on the gas and then on the brake, not on the gas and brake at the same time. You know, it was a very conscious thing, and I'm sure you can relate to that. But now, when I drive, shoot, I'm going to that seminar, so, you know, I'm, I'm driving, I'm eating a hoagie with one hand, I'm texting with my other hand, I'm, I've got a foot on the, on the gas, and then, oh, no, I just put it on cruise control, now I'm driving with my knee. So, and I go from point A to point B, and there I show up, and I don't even remember the drive. How did I get there? Well... Again, uh, of course, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that is because I've consciously trained my subconscious. So now as I'm driving, a lot of it is a very subconscious act. Yes, I'm still staying alert. Yeah, I'm still checking stuff out. But so much of it is just now the subconscious has taken over controlling the wheel, maintaining speed, maintaining distance from the car in front of me. Um, all that is, is subconscious. And it's the same thing with training yourself to be more situationally aware. So that condition too, that relaxed and alert, as soon as you start to ping and realize something's out of, something's not right, something's out of order, that's when you go to that, that third state. 
and that's a special interest. So something is, has happened to cause you, hmm, why, why is that doing that or why is that person there? That's then when you start to focus in on a little bit on, on that person or that, that situation or that thing that's, that's out of order. Uh, I remember reading, um, I forget the gentleman's name, but he at the time, this was I think in the 80s, he was one of the nation's or the nation's foremost uh, expert on spawning counterfeit uh, currency. And when asked the question, first, you know, with uh, led by the statement, you must, you know, spend hours uh, studying all sorts of counterfeit things. So how much time do you devote to studying all these counterfeits? And his response was zero. I don't spend any time. I spend all my time studying the real thing. So then as soon as I'm presented with something that's wrong, I automatically know that it is wrong because I know the real thing uh, so well. He might not know exactly how it's wrong, but he's done enough training to know that there's something different about it. And that's the same thing as you consciously train your subconscious um, and as you're relaxed and alert. As soon as something seems out of the ordinary, you don't necessarily need to know why it's out of the ordinary. Just know that something's off with the situation. And then you make that mental jump to special interest. There's a lot of things that you can do, again, to, to help train. Um, last month's book, sorry, not last month, it was February's book that we did for uh, the LTech book club was, was Kim. Um, we talk a lot about Kim's game and, and a lot of different uh, training that, that we do, whether it's mindset training or, or some of the other uh, classes and seminars and workshops that we do. And Kim's game is a great way to help improve your situational awareness and to help improve you know, your ability to, again, consciously, you're training your subconscious to, to be aware of things. And if you're not familiar with Kim's game, um, a simple way of doing it is look at a bunch of items on a table and spend, a, you know, a, an X number of time, five seconds, 10 seconds, 25 seconds, whatever, and you see it all and then uh, cover it up and then try to recall, okay, what was there? You know, that's just an example. There's a lot of different ways you can add things to it. You can take things away from it. You can look at different pictures, whatever. But again, what is it? It's consciously training your subconscious. Another thing with with uh, that situational awareness, now that you know something is odd, something stands out, is uh, understanding body language. There's a lot of good stuff you can see, uh, you can read you know, on YouTube, as well as a lot of other good books that can help teach you about body language. And really, um, when it comes down to communication, the verbal content or what is actually being said, uh, the text of the conversation, is really only about 7% of communication. 38% of uh, communication is the voice itself, the pitch, the stress, tones, pauses in that communication. And then about 55% of communication is actually body language. Um, so how you're standing, how you're approaching, how you're looking or not looking someone in the eye, um, how you're moving, you know, how you're gesturing, all that body language, you're actually doing more communication with that than the actual context of, of what's being said. That's one of the reasons why it's so easy to misunderstand texts or... Uh, or emails. Um, that's one of the reasons why, even though a lot of them are silly, but why emojis are, are so popular because you're trying to add a, that actual communication, that body language into the, the, that text itself. So the more you can understand or listen to or observe body language, the better off you're going to be. Um, there's all kinds of, of cool stuff that uh, you know, eyes, uh, a person looking some way or glances a certain way in a conversation could mean something. Uh, there's a wealth of information out there. 
But a really important thing to remember when it comes to body language is that though there are some really good generalities, um, in order to truly read a person, you have to have some kind of personal relationship with them. Um, so you just can't like watch somebody scratch their, their nose and then, you know, gesture with their elbow across the room and all of a sudden realize, hey, this person, he's, he's about ready to attack or he's going to do something um, or he's a liar or, or, or whatever, or he's a good person. There's a lot of good generalities, and it's good for you to understand and to read body language, but to truly read someone, uh, you, you can't do that unless you have a personal relationship with them. But one of the things I will quick go through are some of the uh, uh, pre-attack indicators or some things that could give away that, that something is about ready to happen. Um, and these are some common things. Uh, so the first pre-attack indicator is scanning. So if you see that person who's like in a room or in somewhere and you see them just start to, to scan the entire place, uh, think, well, why are they doing that? What's their, what's their intent? Um, what are they looking for? Are they getting ready you know, potentially to, to attack, to do something? Are they looking for any, anyone who might resist uh, in preparation for their attack? Or is it somebody just like you who's walking into a room and, and glancing around trying to get a lay of the land? Uh, the next pre-attack indicator is a target glance. And what that is is the person is prepped. They're ready to, to commit their act, whatever that act of violence might be. And then right before they do that act, they, they glance over and you see they, it's the final check. Okay, that's my target. That's what I'm going to do. And then they look away and then they go ahead with that assault. One of the videos that we use or that I use in, in some of my mindset lectures and, and workshops shows a guy being attacked in McDonald's. So it's uh, you, you see the you know, from the footage, the guy who's about ready to attack him, he glances at his face, turns away, and then just swings this wild uh wild punch at him and, and knocks him out. So he totally gave himself away with that with that target glance. The next one is clenching. So you can be having that conversation. You can be in an argument. You know, whether you're the punk or, or whether you're just, you know, sticking up for yourself and someone else is being the aggressive one. But as that conversation or that argument or whatever continues, as soon as you start to see them ball up their fists or they start to get tense, that could be an indicator, okay, they've already made up their mind and they're getting ready to to attack, to jump you, to to assault you, that that clenching, eye contact, and blinks. So that's a, the next pre-attack indicator. Something else you know to look for. So what we're looking at here are, are the two extremes. So with eye contact, either you're in a room with a bunch of people, and this person only has eyes for you. They're staring at you, moving towards you. They're only looking at you and ignoring everyone. And then it's the the, the opposite of that, where they are glancing at everyone in the room but you. You notice that they might be getting closer to you, but they're purposely ignoring you. That's, you know, that's not right. That's that's out of the norm. That again could be one of the uh the indicators that something's going down. The other thing is blinking. Someone doing an excessive amount of blinking, um they're amped up and they're burning off stress or they're burning off, you know, that adrenaline as they're getting ready, you know, they've already made a decision. They're going to strike, they're going to attack and they're blinking rapidly, or then again, that counter opposite where you notice they're not blinking at all. The next uh, pre-attack indicator is a pugilistic stance. So what that is, again, they're, they're talking, or they're there, and then you start to see them uh, start to move, uh, crouch down a little bit, drop one of their feet to plant that foot, and get into that, that fighting stance. Again, they're, they're preparing for mentally, they're getting ready to, to attack or strike.
uh, flanking. Again, that's just whether they're by themselves and they're trying to get off to your side, you notice them doing that naturally, or, um, or whether they're working as a group. And you have one, one person who's like trying to get your attention, and then uh, that individual's cohorts are, are starting to go off to your sides. Again, all these doesn't necessarily mean that this person really is going to attack or you really are in that situation. But as you are relaxed and alert and then something pings, hey, this isn't right. Uh, I, I'm starting to feel uncomfortable. Maybe I don't know why, but, but something's wrong. And then you start to notice some of these things going on. Again, that is a good indicator that uh, something bad is about ready to happen. All right, and the very last one then is uh, hesitation and response. So what is this? This is uh, that person. They've already locked onto you with, with the OODA loop. They've oriented, observed, sorry, they've observed, oriented, uh, they made a decision, they're going to act. And then while they're doing this, while they're, those, they're bringing in information through their senses, their brain's telling them to do some actions, they're getting ready to do that action. And then all of a sudden they're asked a question, hey, what's your name? And then they pause for a second. Uh, because you just severed the, that loop they're in as they're getting ready to attack. And then now, since it's that loop's been severed, they pause because now they're going to answer your question, uh, 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 Jared. So that, that hesitation, because they're in that loop and they're getting ready to attack, assault, commit an act, do something, and then there's a hesitation in response when asked a question or when other stimulus is given there. That's because you've you've broken them from that, that loop. And then now you've you've giving them that, that pause. Again, that is another indicator that something bad is uh, potentially about ready to happen. Okay, so I might have spent a little bit longer time than I wanted to talking about body language, but that's just, just an example. Once you're in that condition three or, or special interest, you, you need to be aware. You need, And there's so many things that you can do to help train yourself. Uh, if you've got the time uh, and if the mall by you actually has people in it and it's not a ghost town, man, go there, sit and watch and reserve people. Go to some place where you can just watch and just think, what's that person thinking? Why are they doing that? Why are they walking the way they are? Why are they holding that person's hand the way that they're holding it? And just start to remember really what you already know uh, about body language. Uh, there's, but there's all sorts of other things that you can do to help consciously train your subconscious to be more situationally aware. So as you're doing this, Another thing that you want to be doing is, is starting to, to set a trigger. Okay, so I'm relaxed and alert, and then I see something that, or I feel something that just isn't right. Now i am uh, got something of interest, that, that special interest. Well, why is it doing that? And now that's when you want to start wargaming. The more you can plan ahead of time, the better off you're going to be. When does that wargaming start? Well, it should start right now. You already want to figure out for yourself. If somebody breaks into my house, what am I going to do? If uh, somebody tries to carjack me, what am I going to do? And not only what am I going to do, but what am I capable of doing? Uh, Or what do I think I'm capable of doing? For some people, such as myself, carrying a firearm and the ability to use it, I'm capable of doing that. Uh, Other people, um, like say my my mother up until recently, she was not capable of doing that. So it's unrealistic for her to to plan, well, I'm going to get a gun. No, no, you're not. So as you start to plan and wargame beforehand of these certain these circumstances or these situations, you need to realistically think, what am I, what am I capable of doing? What would my course of action be? The more you can figure that out ahead of time, when that moment arises, the better you're going to be able to roll with it because no situation, I don't care how good you are, no situation is going to be the same as, as it, the way you planned it. But if you have a plan, 
then you're better able to, to roll with that situation. So back to condition three and special interest. So once you start to ping, hey, something's not right, that's when you um, want to start getting a little bit more specific with your, with your planning and setting, uh, setting triggers um, so you know your course of action. And you want that course of action, if that trigger has been met, and obviously it has to be appropriate for, for uh, that situation. So if you uh, see a couple of guys who are walking up to your, walking up to your front door and they're walking on, on your sidewalk and up the driveway, um, you know what's some appropriate things to do? Well, maybe they're here to to talk to me about something. Maybe they're here. They want to kick down my door and rob me. Whatever. So you can do certain things. You know, I might want to grab that gun and uh, have it you know, behind my back as I'm watching these guys come up to my house since I don't know who they are and they are a potential threat. That's that's normal. Now the the uh, doorbell rings and I look and it's these two young guys who are wearing shirts and ties and they've got little name badges. So uh, I open the door and one of them says, hello, we're from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and we'd like to talk to you. So now that that threat's there and that trigger's been met, my response needs to be appropriate for that. So an appropriate response might be, come on in. I want to hear what you have to say. An appropriate response might be get lost and slam the door in the face. Um, you have now successfully uh, neutralized that threat. An inappropriate response would be to, to pull out that gun and start sticking it in their face and, and threatening them. So, you know, obviously I'm trying to be a little funny, but too often when people think mindset, they always want to go right to, well, I'm going to get out the gun. I'm going to get the gun um, because everyone is trying to think of the worst case scenario. The best thing you can do is, if possible, whatever the situation might be, would be to defuse that situation and, and not go to a gun uh, if necessary. Let me give you an example that I had um, for real. And this was uh, one of my trips to Iraq. So my SF team, we were working with uh, ISOF, or the Iraq, Iraqi uh, Special Forces, and we were rolling out to a house uh, with a, a bad guy. And we were going in four Humvees, two that were controlled by the Iraqis and with all them, and then two Humvees with guys from my ODA. So we're going to this neighborhood, and it was late at night, uh, like 11, 1130. And um, we rolled up in front of the house, and guys jumped out. They, went down, they took down the house, and uh, it, was, it was pretty quick from the time that they left the vehicles to the time they, the house was secure. Then came the long um, wait as they were searching for intelligence and information and you know whatever stuff that might be there. So this evening on this mission, I drew the short straw. So instead of getting to go in and have fun, I was on the truck, um, the, the, the last truck, the tail truck, and I was uh, on the gun. So I was on the 50 cal. So my area of responsibility was rear security. And I had a big swath of area that I was, I was covering. And what was I doing? Uh, where was that mentally? Was I all charged up with, you know, condition three with a special interest? No, I was, I was at two, even though we were in a bad neighborhood and it was at night and we just executed a, a hit. Um, and we hit, hit this house still, I was relaxed and alert. So what was I doing? I was allowing my senses to do their thing in, in a systematic way. So I was at the 50 cal machine gun, looking off to my left, and I was kind of looking up and down, up and down, using my nods. Um, there's some light, but it was dark enough that I, I could use my nods to, to help enhance my, my senses. So I'm looking up and down, up and down, as I'm slowly, you know, looking to the right, basically covering a, about a 180-degree arc, 
And then as I got all the way to the to my right, I went back to the left and started all over again. So looking in a systematic way, trying to you know, see my surroundings, see if anything started to, to stand out. And because I'd read so many Vietnam books as a kid in high school, you know, you could always uh, smell Charlie before you could see him in the in the jungle. Occasionally I'd pause and I would, you know, I would sniff and <laughs> there you go. T- take a nice whiff and yep, burning trash, uh, n- nothing here out of the ordinary. So I kept looking up and down, up and down, up and down. And then I noticed in one of my scans, here's a red crescent ambulance. It was driving down the road. Um, I was at a 90 degree to the road that we were on. I saw it from the right. It was moving uh, to the left. And that was out of the ordinary. So I immediately went from relaxed and alert to something of interest. Okay, everyone knows we're here now. It's at night. It's this bad neighborhood. Um, yes, the ambulances run and they do things, but it's definitely out of the ordinary to be doing something this late at night in this neighborhood, especially with Americans here. Everyone wants to avoid us. Everyone wants to stay away because they don't want anything stupid or, or accidental to happen. So the fact that this ambulance was on this road that was running um, at a 90-degree angle to us, but coming closer to us to, uh, to, to a T-intersection on the road I was at, definitely out of the ordinary. So when I went to Condition 3, Special Interest, I, I drew my first trigger. Okay, you shouldn't be there, but you are. And if you proceed down this road and you get to that point, my uh, appropriate response, if you cause that trigger to happen, will be for me to take my 50 cal machine gun and go click from safe to fire. So as I'm seeing him, but also still glancing around to make sure that's not just not a distraction, what the aim is to do, he started slowing down, slowing down until he, he crossed that line, that imaginary line or that trigger that I placed. And as soon as he did that, immediately I snapped my 50 cal, my modus from safe to fire. And then I drew my next line. Okay, you shouldn't be here, but if you turn to your left 90 degrees and get on the road that I'm on, that is definitely wrong. And then I drew my, my next trigger. So if you make that turn and start coming towards me, I'm going to deem you a threat. If you choose to come down this road, then I'm going. my next uh, course of action, once that trigger's been met, as I'm going to light you up, I'm going to shoot the driver, I'm going to pivot the machine gun over towards the passenger, and then I'm going to rake it back and forth and annihilate anything that might be in the back of that, um, that ambulance. Because for all I know, it could be filled with uh, shooters, or it could be a V-bed loaded with explosives. I don't know. But what I do know is, you shouldn't be here, you shouldn't be driving closer to us, and if you make that turn, so now you're coming directly at us, not me, but you. You're the one who's deciding for me to pull that trigger and to light you up. So... I made that determination. The ambulance came to that T intersection. Now he's directly in front of me. Hasn't turned towards me yet, but he's right there. He pauses. He's looking at me. I'm looking at him. And it's his decision to make. And then slowly he started to to creep forward. And as he was doing that, I created a, a third line on that road. Created another trigger. Okay, you're dumb and you shouldn't be here. But if you continue on that way, then I'm going to just chalk you up to being stupid and uh, then as soon as you cross that line the appropriate response is going to be for me to take my 50 cal from fire click over to safe so as I watched him start to go on his way and pick up speed a little bit he crossed that third line and that's immediately what I did click and put my 50 cal back on on safe and then mentally instead of staying amped up and pinged up at that special interest then I 
went back to condition two, relaxed and alert, took a couple good deep breaths, and then continued on with my scan, looking you know, from left to right, up and down, just seeing what's out there and making sure there's nothing out of the ordinary like that, that Humvee. So all along that way, um, he was the one who was driving that situation. He was the one who was going to cause all those things to happen. Um, I was just there setting those triggers and uh, allowing him to do whatever it was he's going to do. Now, as soon as that trigger's been met, whatever it might be, your response needs to be immediate. If you don't do that, if you don't set those triggers, if you don't plan beforehand, then you're going to be the equivalent of that, that frog who's in the boiling pot of water getting cooked to death. If that frog would have put a thermostat and said, hey, this is a nice warm bath until it reaches that line, then it's time to get out, uh, the frog would be alive. But because, as the saying goes, because he didn't do that, the frog was slowly cooked to death. So if I had not mentally figured out all of this stuff and if I hadn't already um, put it into practice, that evening, if that was a V-bed, if it was a vehicle-borne explosive, or if it was a, a vehicle trying to sneak a bunch of shooters up to us to, to try to respond and try to attack us, had that guy all of a sudden, when he got to that T-intersection, turned left towards me and started rushing me, if that's well, then when I would have waited to figure out, oh, what am I going to do, uh, then I'm already behind the power curve. They're already assaulting, they're already coming right on me, and then I'm trying to think my way through, okay, well, what, what am I going to do? Instead of having that predetermined, knowing what I'm going to do, as soon as they cause that trigger, um, then I know immediately what I'm going to do and my response is, is fast. So that leads us from you know, that special interest to, to that next condition. That's trigger met. As soon as that trigger is met, that leads you immediately to the next one, which is action. Now's the time to do something. Now's the time that uh, if you need to shoot, you need to shoot. Now's the time if you need to run, you run. Now's the time to, uh, as soon as that trigger's been met, you, you lock that door. Or whatever that course of action that you need to do that is appropriate to that threat, um, that's when you need to do it. So, Again, I've taught this before, and some people get cavalier thinking, thinking again, oh, triggers are met, that means go to guns, go to guns, go to guns. Well, maybe it is, maybe it's not, but you as a responsible individual, you're going to have to figure that out. And if you choose something that is irresponsible, such as, uh, what's a good one? Oh, uh, Joe Biden suggesting, you know, shooting the shotgun up in the air or some craziness like that or shoot him in the knee, um, th things like that, you're going to have to suffer the consequences of those actions. Uh, so... Yes, your response needs to be immediate. As soon as that trigger's been met, it's time for action, time for you to, to do whatever your course of action is. But just know that you're going to be responsible for, for those actions, so make sure that it's appropriate for, for whatever that situation might be. One thing with action. Uh, hey, Hollywood lies. As soon as you make that mental um, decision that it's time for action, that trigger's been met, I need to do something um, and it's not like TV. It's not like the movies. Uh, there's no time for dialogue. No, no time for you to sit around and, and try to figure out what you're going to do. Um, it's not a Quentin Tarantino movie where we're going to pull out a bunch of guns and wave them around and, and talk about how we're all a bunch of cool little Fonzies. Um, that's just not the case. Your best course of action is to immediately do whatever you had predetermined or decided that you're going to do.
um, that's the, the best form of training then will allow you to, once it's time, uh, once that trigger's been met and it's time for action, to, to treat it like a drill. Eliminate the threat. And what do I mean by eliminate the threat? That means whatever you need to do to eliminate that threat. Um, <laughs> to use the example, uh, you know, earlier, boy, if those uh, Mormon missionaries are threatening you, slam that door in their face, there you go. Threat's been eliminated. Um, but it's important that you think, you know, that way. Eliminate that threat. Do whatever it is that you need to do. All right, let me close up a little bit with some thoughts on training. So I said treat it like a drill. You do need to treat it like a drill. You need to shoot if if that's what you've determined to protect yourself or protect your loved ones. You need to shoot to eliminate that threat. Um, then you need to train accordingly. But where some people miss the mark is that that's all they do. They just spend time on uh, uh, shooting while moving or um, or stress drills or or, or any, anything that in their mind, or maybe from their experience, if they have a, a background of trying to emulate um, those high-stress moments. What you need to do is you need to do a combination of marksmanship drills where I'm learning and then I'm practicing and going back to those fundamentals. How does this firearm work? How, you know, how do I get hits on pieces of paper where I want it to at different distances or at different situations. And then as you keep going back to those foundational drills, and there's always room for improvement, then you also need to incorporate you know, other drills um, with shoot, no shoot targets or other levels of stress or, or scenario-based training. Um, so that good combination of, yes, you have the skills, but then all, you know, physically I can put hits on pieces of paper, but then also uh, practice those drills that are emotional or, uh, or physically stressful. So now in that stressful environment or that replicated environment, um, not only can I make those decisions and I can practice what we've been talking about, I can practice being relaxed and alert, something of interest, oh, the trigger's been met, and then now time for action, now time to do something. And that way you can you know, receive doses of stress. You can receive that stress inoculation that will help prepare you and be better prepared than, than what I was at that first experience I had, um, where I just sat there and, again, until somebody yelled my name, I didn't respond. So putting all this together, this little small conversation on, on mindset, really what it is, is before I figured all this out and learned this through a lot of study self-examination and, uh, and experience. Um, I was just letting life happen. That's what I was doing ill-prepared in that guard tower, just letting life happen. Then what I decided to do is I decided to make life happen. And as best as I can, I, I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to choose. And that determination to be as in charge of my life as, as I can be, um, that made all the difference. So now being put in those situations, uh, and like I said at the beginning, um, because of that, not that there's anything special about me or anything different about me than, than you, I have just been preparing and mentally training and then experiencing ways to uh, speed up that reaction time. So like I said, uh, I was either the first person to pull the trigger or very fast second person to pull the trigger and and virtually every other experience I've had with, with gunfire and with those uh, deadly uh, encounters. I can't emphasize that enough. 
that it's really that decision that you're going to take charge of your own life and then uh, you're going to make life happen and not allow life to happen to you. Uh, so thank you for, for spending that time with me. Um, I hope you learned something and I ho- hope you gained something from this. Really, uh, as those of you who have met me in person, it's uh, I'm not that, that special. I don't think I'm, I'm that super cool. I have learned some things. I have experienced stuff. And it's my desire to pass on that information to you. So if and when that moment ever arises in your life, and if you can internalize these principles or these, these core things that I've, I've been sharing, like I have, that your first experience won't be like my first experience, where I just sat there until, uh, until my buddy yelled my name. Well, thank you again. And uh, we'll talk more about mindset. There's so much more to get into, uh, PTSD, dealing with the effects of PTSD, things that can help you uh, during and after the, the stress and the emotional uh, um, trauma that may come from, from having a, uh, a lethal encounter. And I guess, and one other thing that I'll, I'll share too, you know, I use as examples of, uh, of me being deployed. Um, but most of you know my wife, that she had to use the shotgun once when I wasn't there to protect our children and, and to defend the home. Even though that was here in the States and that was in our home, she experienced combat just as real physically, emotionally, um, as anything that, that, that I've ever experienced. You know, a fight is a fight is a fight. Uh, when you feel threatened and when your life legitimately is threatened, I don't care who you are or where you're at, it's, 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 it's pretty much the same. And that's why we do what we do. That's why I, I, I take the time to, to pass on this information to you. All right, hope to see you guys on the range, and I'll talk to you next time. I don't know. Never been in a fight. You? No, but that, that's a good thing. No, it is not. How much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight?